0: We are continuing our series of studies called The Gospel According to Moses. And as you know, we have been looking at some of the uh, gospel themes that are found in the first five books of the Bible because I believe very strongly that all the gospel is in the Old Testament. It's all there in those first five books, it's just in different language. And so you just have to look at it. And, and so tonight, what we're going to do tonight, though, is something a little different, something very, very different, very unusual uh, as far as uh, some, the, the way I typically approach things, uh, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take a tour of the tabernacle. And, uh, and, and the thing is, doing that, when you start teaching on the tabernacle and then furnishing in there, that sort of thing, it's, it's the kind of thing that can get boring in a hurry. And, and so to avoid that, what we're going to do tonight, we're going we're to jump in a time machine and we're going to travel back into the wilderness to meet Moses and Moses is gonna take us on a tour of the tabernacle. So this is not gonna be your typical Bible study. There's no outline, there's no point A, B, or C, or any of those kind of things, but I I hope and pray that it'll be helpful and you'll find some encouragement in it. So to to set up what we're gonna be doing tonight, let's just read uh, about the moment when God commanded Moses to build the tabernacle. That account is found in Exodus chapter 24, beginning in verse nine, and we're gonna read it through verse nine. Of chapter twenty-five. This is what it says. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there was something like a paved work of sapphire stone, as clear as the sky itself. He did not lay his hand upon the nobles of the children of Israel, and, and they also and they saw God also they saw God, and they ate and they drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me to the mountain and stay there. And I will give you the stone tablets with, with law and the commandments which I have written, so that you may teach them. Moses ro- rose up with Joshua, his attendant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait for us, meaning himself and Joshua, in this place, until we return to you. Aaron and her are, are with you. Whoever has any matters of dispute, let him, let him come to them. Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain to the eyes of the children of Israel. Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord said to Moses, tell the children of Israel to bring me an offering. From, from every man who gives willingly with his heart, you shall receive my offering. This is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, porpoise skins. Now, uh, this particular translation uh, translates it that. Some translations say uh, badger skin. We really don't know to which animal he's really referring to, he, to here. But we do know he's referring to some kind of fine leather. Uh, It goes on, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Now, verse 9 can be a very difficult passage or confusing passage if you don't understand what what it's saying. But verse 9 says, according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, you shall make it just so. Now, you may say to yourself, wait a minute, I, I, I thought Moses was about to build the tabernacle. And if he's about to build a tabernacle, upon what tab- pattern of what tabernacle is he about to build it? If, if there's a pattern, after what is it being patterned upon? So Moses, uh, on the mountain, overshadowed with the glory of God and the cloud of his presence, what we call the Shekinah glory, underneath the hand of Almighty God, the eyes of the people below having been closed over, Heavens open for Moses, and Moses sees the tabernacle of the testimony of God above. So, the tabernacle of Moses is built on the pattern of the tabernacle of the testimony of God in heaven, which Moses has been allowed to see through a revelation upon Mount Sinai. In a, in a spiritual firestorm so huge that it lasted 40 days and 40 nights with fire, the sight of the presence of the Lord encompassing the, the mountain looked like fire and, and the people below doubted whether or not Moses was even alive after being gone for 40 days and 40 nights in, that, in what was so unbelievable uh, as, as, they, as they beheld it. And, and it was there that Moses saw the pattern of the tabernacle of the testimony of God which is in heaven and it was upon This pattern that Moses, through the free will offerings of the people, built a tabernacle through which he's going to guide us. So let's travel back in time and let's join Moses on a hillside overlooking the encampment of the Israelites in the wilderness. Moses is speaking as we join this tour and he says, tonight we're going to we're going to tour the tabernacle. Uh, Of course, I can't show you everything, but I will be able to show you some things. But first before we go in let's just stand right up here on this hillside and look at it. That's it right there in the midst of the people of Israel you see all the tents in that in that odd pattern before you? Yes, that's it that that big square unattractive tent in the midst of everything. What? You 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 laugh and say it doesn't doesn't look very impressive? No, actually I I guess it doesn't look very impressive. Covered over with all animal skins and it's just a big oblong shape. You say it looks like a block of, big block of wood in the middle of the desert? You know, I, I guess it does. While, while we're here, let me just draw some pictures in the sand and show you some things. Let me show you something that I've been noticing as we travel through the desert. I, I don't know what it means. I, I can't explain it to you. I can, I can only show it to you. But, but God told me exactly how to arrange the tribes Every time we stop and camp, he told me exactly where each of the tribes is supposed to be. Let, let, let me get you oriented. I, I know you get lost and it's easy to get it turned around out here in the desert. So this is east and, and that's west. And on the east side, just at the door of the tabernacle, the priests camp there. And then you see the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Issachar and the, the tribe of Zebulon and Then on the north side of the tabernacle, you see three tribes, Dan and Asher and Naphtali. And on the south side, there are three other tribes, Gad, Simeon, and Reuben. And then on the west side, you'll see three more tribes, Benjamin, Manasseh, and Ephraim. There are about 150,000 people on the north side. The smallest group is actually on the west side, about 108,000. And on the south side, there are about 151,000 people. And then on the east side... There, there that's just shy of, uh, of 187,000 people. But there, there you, you can see it. There's, there, there's that pattern. I've stood up here on the hillsides for many, many a desert night and looked at it. See how it forms the shape of two lines crossing? I, I don't know what it means. But every time I look up, down upon the people of Israel camp, just as God told me to camp them, something just sends a chill down my spine. Well, and enough of that. I mean, let's talk about the tabernacle. That's that's why you what you came for, isn't it? What is it? Well, it's really nothing but a great big tent where God told me that He would come to visit a people and to meet with us and to talk with me and to give us revelations. And it's where we gathered, where where we are to gather to worship. But the truth is, it's it's really merely a shadow. It's a shadow of something that I saw that, that God allowed me to see on the mountain there on the mountain side of sinai I, I saw the tabernacle of the testimony of god above in the heavens the the tabernacle here which we built even though it we built it exactly as god told us to build it even though he inspired the craftsmen, even though it's magnificently beautiful in, in its own way still it's just a shadow it's a witness of god in our midst but it's not the tabernacle the tabernacle is above. The tabernacle is in heaven. This is the tabernacle, but it's not the tabernacle. That concept of a tabernacle, tent, it just simply means dwelling. It's the it's tabernacle of God among us. I find that very hard to imagine should God shall God tabernacle with men? It's very odd to me. As we pass through the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and all the other people in the the land. I, I wish we had a magnificent structure, something that we could show them, something that was so beautiful on the outside, something to look at so that when other people pass by us, they'd say, their God dwells in glory. Instead, it's really nothing. It's a great deal like every other tabernacle among men. It looks like every other tent. In fact, it's not a great deal more glorious than the outside of the tents in which the people live. However, in content within, there is an essence of such awe, such terror, such beauty, such wonder and glory, places places that I can't take you, but I I can't tell you about them. Come now, let's let's go down from this hillside and go down into the tabernacle and, and let me tell you about it. First, come in here with me. It's not very light in here, but let's begin right here, right by the veil. We'll go out from here. Why? Well, because this is the first thing God told us to build. I I can't show it to you. In fact, you you really don't want to see it because it would destroy you if you went in there. But nevertheless, let me just tell you about it. Let me tell you about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts is, is nothing really but a great big wooden box overlaid with gold. It has long poles that go through these brackets and the Levites are able to use those to lift it and to carry it about. And, and it, 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 uh, it, it has in it manna. Uh, it has in it Aaron's rod that, that budded and, and it has in it the tables of the law. Why? Well, I don't know. I, I really don't know why. God told me to put them in there. I, I mean, I'm just Moses. I'm not all that smart. Maybe though, maybe the manna is about bread, about life, Maybe there's some connection between bread and life. Aaron's rod that budded. I don't understand that. I don't know why it's in there. But, but maybe it's, it somehow or another has to do with the fact that the rod was dead. It was just a dead piece of wood. It was a stick in his hand. And, and out of death came new life. It, it budded. I, I tell you, it budded right in front of our eyes. It was like life out of death. Bread. Resurrected life and the tables, of the tables of the law, or how to live. So you have life, and truth, and the way. Way, truth, and life. All in that ark. On top of the ark, the lid we fashioned, a, on top of that we fashioned golden angels, these cherubim. I, I wrote in, in the book of Genesis, as you know, and, it, and I've thought about this in the light of the book of Genesis and There there were two angels that were stationed by God at the door uh, of the the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were expelled. And I believe that in some way or another, these cherubim bespeak these two angels, that they are the angels that guard the way back into God, that God's glory is unapproachable by sinful man. Furthermore, the angels inform me that it is a supernatural, transcendent, heavenly experience Angels, not men, not horses, not made up creatures, but real angels of God. The mighty, terrifying cherubim of, of God. Oh, if you, if you ever saw one, oh, if you ever just saw an angel, you would just be amazed. But this is not about angels. The angels are looking down toward each other and downward at the top of the box. And above that ark dwells the glory of God, Shekinah, the presence, radiance. What's that you say? Go, go in and look at it? Oh, oh, foolish, foolish person. If either one of us goes uh, through that veil to stare at that box, we'll, we'll be destroyed. What is it that the angels are looking down at? Well, underneath that shelf, underneath that resting place, that seat of God's glory and God's presence, they, they look down at the tables of the law, which God handed me, written by his own finger in in stone. I'm absolutely convinced in my heart, after, after only this brief interaction with the God of Mount Sinai, that those ta- tables of stone, those 10 commandments, condemn every single one of us. I'm convinced that those angels are there for us, not only to remind us of the, the, uh, of the, of the supernatural and the heavenly, but they're there to remind us that God is un- unapproachable by sinful man. They're But they're 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 there to remind us that God is staring down at the law of his own holiness. It's a judgment seat, isn't it? A judgment seat. We're judged there, condemned by the searching eyes of God and and his law. You know, it it occurred to me, I've never written it in the five books that God gave me to write, but sometimes I think about it. Everybody has sinned. All have sinned and come short of that glory of God. We can't get in there to that glory. We're isolated. We're sealed out. You know, it's funny, but when I wrote the story of the Garden of Eden as God revealed it to me and I began to build the Ark of the Covenant and began to hang the veil of separation, it was as if I was seeing the story of the Garden Eden, of Eden all over again. You know, there are three arcs in my books. There's Noah's Ark, an Ark of safety and refuge, an Ark of salvation, you might say, in, in, the, in the time of God's judgment. The second Ark was... Actually, my own birth, you may not think of it as an ark, but you know, when my mother and my dad and my sister, my big sister Miriam, when they placed me in this little wicker basket pitched inside and out and they pushed me out into the Nile River, in a way you might say they pushed me into death because the Nile is full of crocodiles. However, that basket bore me up and it was the means and the vehicle of my salvation so, so that the river of death became for me a river of life. So that the moment of my separation from my family became the moment of uh, uh, the moment of uh, of reuniting and of deliverance. It was an ark of safety for me. So when I began to build this ark as God told me to I began to think about what what was the connection. I saw that in the ark of uh, uh, that it is an ark of judgment just as Noah's ark was a Judgment against all those who are not uh, 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 not inside, but, but it was also an ark of deliverance for Noah. My ark on the Nile River was a judgment on Egypt, but it was a deliverance for me. The ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. Is it an ark of judgment? Yes, it is. However, when blood is sprinkled over the law, the judgment seat becomes a mercy seat. I don't know how to explain it, but I just somehow think there's going to come another ark. There's a fourth ark yet yet to come, and an ark of such safety, an ark that is such a, a terrifying judgment of God on sin that the whole world would tremble, and yet an ark of such magnificent delivering grace that the whole world can enter. Well, that's. Where you begin the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, the presence of God, the throne of God, the glory of God, the fullness of God, the, his character and judgment and his mercy, a place of beauty and, and glory, but also of terror and life and death and sacrifice and deliverance and blood. Let me, let me just give you a drawing of what you're, what you're going to see now. You can kneel here in the sand with me. Let me just scratch it out in the sand and it looks something like this. This is the tabernacle. There's the Outer door, the Ark of the Covenant is here. There's the veil, and we're standing right here next to the veil. Go ahead. You, you can touch the veil. You just can't go inside. You know, you know it's, it's an interesting thing. God allows the chief priest to go in once a year on the Day of Atonement and minister blood on the mercy seat and intercede for the people on the outside. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've stood in here in the semi-darkness and thought to myself, somehow or another, there has to be a way for all of us to get inside that veil. Somehow or another, there has to be a way back through those walls of separation. I don't know how, what, what could ever happen that, that would get us in there. But let's look at some other things. Next thing we see here, right next to the veil, we see the altar of incense. It's an altar of prayer, intercession. Here's where the incense of worship and Praise and prayer and intercession, intercession constantly flows up before God, and an unceasing, unending ministry to God, and a ministry of intercession, praise, and worship. Let, let me show you something I wrote one time. I was under a great inspiration of the Holy Spirit when I was working on this book that you, you know it as the book of Exodus. But God said something to me. He said, Now therefore, if you will faithfully obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my special possession. Out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. You, you understand these verses? Well, <laughs> well, I'm glad because I don't. I, I don't know what they mean. I mean, we're not all priests. The priests and the high priests, I, I know who they are. How, how shall we be kingdom, a kingdom of priests? How shall we be a holy nation? We're not, we're unholy. How shall we be a special possession? We're just like people like everyone else. Yet somehow or another, I just know that God will reiterate that declaration and promise throughout history. There's something there, isn't it? Well, let's look at some more things. This, this is the altar of incense. So uh, let's look over to this side. On this side, you see the, the table of the bread of the present. Some people call it the table of showbread. But the table of the bread of the presence, and, and, and by the way, you, you might want to know this, but that's the first time the word table is ever used in the Bible. And anytime a word is used for the first time in the Bible, sometimes you need to pay attention to that. But I mean you 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 use the same word in all your modern conversations with 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 the people you have. And for example, two nations have a war, and the two and the delegates of the two nations you say are going to sit down together at the table. And they're going to discuss and negotiate a peace. Why, even even your your families argue. Don't you say, let's not stand out here in the hallway and argue. Let's go in and sit down at the table and have a meal and share a cup of coffee and see if we can discuss this thing together. You see, the table is a place of negotiation. God speaks to his prophets. He said, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But you know, the table, it's also a place of sustenance. What what do you do at a table? Eat. Of course you do. There's to be 12 loaves of bread on that table. Is it one for each of the? tribes of israel i think so but i think there's something more than that something that i haven't quite seen i I can see it but i can't quite see it now around the table there's this double crowned molding let let me give you an idea of what it looks like imagine a molding and it says there's a molding and then there's uh there's a border the 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 width of a man's hand and then there's another molding on top of that Two moldings and a border, the width of a man's hand, sitting atop the table of the bread of the presence, like two great crowns. I don't understand those two crown moldings. One might be that Messiah. It, one might mean that Messiah, when he comes, will be called king and wear a king's crown, but he'll also wear a priest's crown. Maybe it means some other things that I don't understand. But I, I know that it means uh, that he has keeping power. It means those loaves of bread are kept on that table by the restraining wall of the double-crowned king that his hand keeps those loaves of bread in the place of communion and negotiation and sustenance. You know, it's as if God was saying to the people of Israel, here, take, eat, this is my body. Now, now look behind you, turn around and look behind you. There behind you stands the golden lampstand. There is there, a flow of oil that trickles through an elaborate seven-armed uh, lampstand into the lamps that sit on top of that stand where, where, where it is lit and it burns directly and floods a constant light in this area right here. It's the only light in here. No light from the outside is allowed to be in the tabernacle. There's no light of the sun during the day, and, and yet there is constant light Aaron, the high priest, he comes every morning to dress the lamps, make sure they're filled with oil, make sure that the wick is trimmed and clean and burning brightly. And here's an interesting thing you you might want to know about it. God gave me some very specific directions about the ornamentation on this lampstand. It's an odd arrangement of almond flowers with buds and blossoms. Each almond flower consists of three parts, cups, buds, and the blossoms. And on the main shaft, there are four groups of almond flowers with cups, buds, and blossoms. That makes 12 parts total. Plus you add three uh, groups of almond flowers on the three branches on one side, and that equals 39 because you've got 27 on one side plus the 12. That gives you 39. The other three branches, when you look at that, those almond flowers uh, total 27 parts. Well, it just so happens there are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. And all together, there are 66 books in the Bible. It's as if the lampstand was telling us that the Word of God was going to be a light for our feet. But I think there's even more. The lampstand is to be made of beaten gold, not melted, but beaten. Hammered and hammered and hammered and hammered until it's pure. Shining, delicate, fragile, beauty, filled with the oil of God until it shines. Now now let me show you something. If you you stand here with the lampstand behind you, it shines light over on the table of the presence. You can see that. And and it gives you light here for the altar of incense. And then it also illumines itself. It's kind of as if God might say, if you want to serve me, walk in the light. Remain in the light. He that is in the light serves me, but he that is not in the light doesn't know me. It's as if God wants to say, I want you to see those loaves of bread kept on that table by my hand. I want there to be a constant witness of light shining on that so you'll know that I keep you. I want this lampstand to remind you of, the, of, of beaten gold filled with all the oil of God shining, shining forth. And, and I want you to be reminded constantly of a table of intercession, an altar of incense, where prayers are to be offered up to God constantly then now let's move out through the door and we'll move out into the outer court. And the first thing we see as we walk through that door is you see a, a bronze wash basin and then just past that, just inside the, the gate, you'll see a, another altar. What, the, the, the wash basin? Oh, well, the wash basin. It's interesting how God wanted that made. Uh, I, I had my own ideas about how to make a wash basin, I thought about maybe a big shiny reflecting pool filled with water, and the people would reflect up on the sky. It would have been beautiful, but God wanted it done a very specific way. When we left Egypt, God allowed us to be given all kinds and manner of gifts and prizes and treasures from the Egyptians. And one of the things that the Egyptian women gave to our women was looking glasses. Oh, they weren't they weren't made of glass, but they were burnished bronze so fine that when it was held up you could see your face perfectly they were objects really of vanity and and self-inspection and god told us to take all those mirrors and make them into a wash basin a laver it was as if he said when you look into this basin it will show you every defect no longer an object of vanity but now an object of introspection repentance with water for washing and cleansing Well, just before you enter you into the into the holy place there with the lampstand and the table of the bread of presence and the altar of incense, you have to wash here in this. You cleanse yourself. But but then in front of that you see just in front just inside the gate of the entrance you see the brazen altar. There, that's where blood sacrifices are made. Oh, you you've never seen that, have you? It's it's horrible. Now, I know you expected me to say it's wonderful, but it, it's not wonderful. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible to watch an animal chopped to, to death and uh, filleted into pieces. It's entrails and guts ripped out, blood everywhere. The priest is splattered with the blood. The stones are splattered with blood. The altar is constantly a place to, a, a place of stench because, I mean, a dead animal stinks. It, it just stinks. Even at the moment of its death, there's a smell of blood and entrails and death. There's just a smell about it. I think it was God's way of reminding us how awful our sin really was. This is a place of sacrifice. Constantly. It's a place of blood. Then the ashes and the death of so much. Aaron would take it outside away from the courtyard and he'd go through that one gate. You see, there's only one entrance into the courtyard. Only one you know, people, people kept asking me, why don't you make an entrance over here and then put one over there and put one back over there? That way we don't have to walk all the way around. Why don't you just put entrances all around this? Why, why do you have only one entrance? It's so narrow-minded, only one way to get in and one way to get out. I mean, what, what if, if we were attacked from somewhere, we wouldn't be able to get out. Let's, let's have more than one entrance. However, God said, there's only one entrance. It's only one entrance, and, if, and, it, and it goes right straight by the sacrifice, right straight by the wash basin, right straight into the door, right straight in. There's no other way. Okay, well, look at it there. There you have it. What, wait a minute. That, that a hill. looks like a hill. I, I hear a voice saying it's finished. I am the sacrifice. No man takes my life, but I lay it down. John wrote in John 1, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. What, what glory? Isaiah the prophet tells us that he wasn't even handsome. It says he has no form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should desire him. There was nothing about him that was outwardly glorious. He was a common man, a poor man not particularly well-educated, not particularly cosmopolitan. He, had, he never traveled more than a few miles from the place where he was born. He, he never got a college degree, never wrote a book, never left the country of, a, of, a, of, a, of his birth after he moved back from Egypt. He died in infamy and shame and rejected and despised a man equated with sorrows who died a criminal's death outside the city of God. He wasn't even allowed to be killed in Jerusalem. And his death was a sacrifice. And now see Moses kneeling at the cross by faith, seeing through thousands and thousands of years at his side, beholding a mystery, Isaiah, Elijah and Elisha and the Old Testament saints of God believed by faith, Abraham, Isaac and Israel. And suddenly, suddenly Moses says, now I understand the the Eastern Gate, one way in. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the blood sprinkled path. I am the sacrifice. I am the high priest. It begins right here as we make our way to God. We stand on the outside, isolated, sojourners, wanderers, Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites, Gentiles, lost, outside the, of the commonwealth of Israel. We have no right to eat at the altar. We have no right to come inside. And, and yet Jesus said, come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, come. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And Jesus said, if, you, if anyone desires to be with the father, then I want you to be with the father. He said, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I, that I, uh, that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to, to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus said, would you Would I go to the trouble of preparing a place for you in the presence of the Father and not come back for you, uh, for you not to be received? The first step back in is the sacrifice. Look at it, bloody, horrible, nasty, dirty. There's, There's nothing pretty about the cross. For all our stylized stylized understandings of Calvary, it's a place of blood and death and gore, of flayed bodies and entrails, of, of death and screaming and nightmares and loneliness. And when we see it and we behold our sin, we wonder how shall we approach God. And we move into the place of washing and cleansing. When I look into the reflecting pool of God's word, I know that I have sinned. Romans said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's there's no way back in for me. Yet Jesus says that we may be cleansed, washed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. How wonderful, uh, wonderful for us. Think to be cleansed, washed in the labor of God, having beheld the sacrificial altar of Calvary no longer to look into the reflecting pool of condemnation but now to receive the cleansing that which i saw that condemns me now holds the water which cleanses me now we move into outer chamber where god's light is the holy place no longer outside no longer in the outer courtyard simply having been admitted but but on our way look now as we come in how the light fills the area behold The lampstand, the oil of the Holy Spirit filling us and and the constant ministry of the high priest trimming the wick, making sure that we're filled with oil, the sanctifying work of God, the ongoing work of sanctification. Are we sanctified? Yes. Are we being sanctified? Yes. Will Will we be more sanctified tomorrow? Yes. Will we grow in sanctification? Yes. Is my sanctification an accomplished fact? Yes. However, my high priest must constantly trim the wick. Constantly fill me with oil. Constantly make sure that the beaten gold of my faith is pure enough to hold the oil of the Holy Spirit. Then we move across to the table and we see Jesus and his disciples. Look, 12 loaves. Is it the 12 loaves of the tribe of Israel? Yes. Is it the fullness of apostolic witness and the foundation stone of the entire teaching of the church? Yes. And there's Jesus saying saying at the table, Come, come eat. This is my body broken for you. You know, I remember it now. I I, I remember it. When when I wrote the book of Genesis, I remember the story of Abraham returning from the conquest of the 10 kings of of Amraphel to rescue his, his nephew Lot and I remember as he came past Salem, how he stopped and the king of Salem, which means the king of peace, came out. His name was Melchizedek, Melchizedek and, and Abraham, Abraham tied to him. He made an offering of praise and worship, as it were, in some kind of divine revelation. A- Abraham saw beyond that moment. He knew something. He saw something. He understood something. He tithed, as it were, on an altar of incense. What happened? Melchizedek served him bread and wine there, the king of Salem, king of peace, saying, this is the table of my feast. Come and commune with me. And he partook there. Well, you know, that's every one of us. Every one of us is now allowed to stand between the table of communion and the lampstand of the witness of the Holy Spirit, Then, then to make intercession, praying, praising, and worshiping. What a magnificent thing. Now, back to that passage I wrote in Exodus chapter 19. What about the issue of the kingdom of priests? Turn to 1 Peter in the New Testament. How shall we be a kingdom of priests? But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you where? Out of darkness into his wonderful light. I, I never understood the tabernacle. I, I ministered in it, but I never understood it. Over and over and over again, I talked to Aaron about it. I, I stood on the hillsides and looked down on its animal skin covered outside. I, I stood between the lampstand and the table of communion and the altar of, of intercession of prayer and, and the witness of incense. And I But I never understood what it would mean for an entire people to be ushered into the place of light and witness and truth and revelation that we might be a kingdom of priests the whole nation of priests no longer divided up by tribe and kindred and clan and household but an entire nation ordained unto god Whew, what an amazing thing and then we come face to face with that veil we still can't go in there i guess but then just as jesus hung on the cross in the last moments of his life he He cried out, it is finished. What? What is finished? The tabernacle of the testimony of God, which is in heaven, has chosen to tabernacle below with man so that man might tabernacle with God. God said, I, I don't want to remain in here in the holy of holies alone while all my children are on the outside, condemned by my law and separated by this, their sin. He spoke to his son, the word, the pre-existent, co-eternal second person of the Trinity, and he said, now leave this place and go unto them and tabernacle with them, look like them, walk like them, talk like them, eat like them, sleep like them, live like them, die like them, and then... Bring them back in here with you. And all through the way, Jesus kept saying, Father, your will, not mine. Father, your will, not mine. May your will be completed. May your will be done. May your will be finished. And from the cross, he cried out, it is finished. Your will is complete. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory, glory as the, of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And now that word was that was translated as dwelt is actually the word tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among men. And he said, I have prepared a place for you in my father's house. In the holy of holies, the place where my father lives. And when he cried out, it is finished. The veil of the temple, which was built on the prototype of the tabernacle, which was built on the prototype of the tabernacle of the testimony of God in heaven. The veil in the temple was torn in half, not from the bottom up by the hands of men. We could never have hammered our way back into the presence of God. No matter what we ever did, the angels kept us out. Our sin kept us out. That veil kept us out. However, when Jesus died, the veil was torn from the top down. And God said, come in. To the Holy of Holies. Moses, now seeing, he says, Now I see. I ministered there. I prayed there. I stood in this light, but I didn't stand in the light. I looked at the table, but I couldn't really see it. Oh, he said, Now I see. Quickly run with me. Get back up to the hillside. Look, look, there it is again. Look down at the tribes of Israel. Look at the shape. It's a cross. There's the tabernacle with tribes off to one side and tribes to the other side and tribes on the north and the south side. Now I know what it is. Behold, in the center of the cross, a place of death? No, bless God, a place of life. Jesus said, if any man would come after me into the Holy of Holies... Let him take up his own cross and follow me. I, I've always thought that was such a grim command. I've always trembled at it. But Jesus is saying, I hammered out my cross on the flesh of proud, arrogant humanity. They rejected and despised me. But in claiming them and surrendering myself to the will of God, the place of judgment became the place of mercy. The place of death became the place of life. The place of blood became the place of resurrection. The table of the presence Became communion, the lampstand of God shedding the light of the Holy Spirit through the the, the gifted, fruit filled, empowered, spirit filled Church of the Living God, a kingdom, a nation, a priest of priests offering incense before the Holy God. No longer, no longer trembling outside, fearfully waiting in doubt, longing to know whether or not the Day of Atonement would prevail for our sins. This is the Day of Atonement. This is the Year of Jubilee. Jesus said, come therefore boldly before the throne of God and make your prayers and petitions known to God and let Him meet your needs. Jesus said, I'm going into the, into the Father's house. If anyone else wants to come, let Him take up His cross and let's go into the tabernacle of God. Moses said, now I see. It was not only the pattern of, of that which I saw in heaven, it was a pattern of that which was yet to come. It was not only the covenant of God with the people of Israel, It was about the covenant of God with people everywhere. Come into the Holy of Holies. Any man can stay on the outside if he wants to. In darkness, in loneliness, in separation, in sin. But I'm here to tell you the great good news of the new covenant. There is an eastern gate that's wide open. There is a blood sprinkled way. There is a sacrifice on the altar. There is water in the basin. There is a doorway into the tabernacle and the lampstand of God sheds light under our feet. There is a table where we can sit down and commune with God. There is an altar where we can offer as priests unto God incense which is sweet smelling in his nostrils. Yet now we can go past the veil. We we can go into the very holy of holies. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. However, he says, by me, every man can come. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but there is a way back in. No matter what you've done, prostitutes, whoremongers, murderers, racists, liars, thieves, there's a way back in. And that's what I've come to tell you. You don't have to stay outside anymore, not ever, ever again. You can live right there in the Holy of Holies. Jesus said, if any man would come after me into the Holy of Holies, let him take up his own cross and follow me. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you that in the tabernacle we see a picture of Jesus, that there's one way in, and that way leads to sacrifice. That sacrifice leads to cleansing. That cleansing leads us into the, into the light of, of the Spirit and the oil of the Spirit uh, burning in our lives. And it leads to communion. And it leads to uh, intercession and praise right there at the very uh, doorway into the Holy of Holies. But it ultimately leads us right into your presence. And so God, I thank you that you painted that picture in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. But it was more than just what you were doing with them. It was a picture of what you were going to do for us. And that God, now we know the way is open. The veil is torn. And we can enter, in, can enter into the very holy of holies. And I pray, God, that every one of us would make sure that we're that our hearts are right with you, God, that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that, that we have... Uh, we have received the sacrifice that you paid for us that leads to our cleansing. And I pray, God, that as we do that, that you would help us to live as light in this dark world because the truth is you didn't just open the way for us, you opened the way for everybody. And now you've, you've said to us, go in all the world. So, Lord, help us to make it known that there is a way back into your presence. And we give you praise for all these things. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.